The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. Father God, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your presence here this morning. And so, Father God, as we turn again to your word, that you would speak to our hearts, encourage us, challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <coughs> we all know the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. It doesn't have to breed contempt, often it just breeds apathy. And so we often need to stop, have an opportunity to to stop and, and take stock. I know a lot of folks say, well, a new year is nothing. It's just another change in the date. We just happened to put a, a date on the 31st of the 1st. I saw a meme last night that said the last day of this year will be 123123. Three, three. For those of you who are mathematical, that's kind of strange. The 12th of the 31st, 23. 123123. For those of you who like Sesame Street, it came with a picture of Count Dracula. What does it take to get your attention? What does it take to make you stop? I'm sitting at the table and we're comparing notes about 20 years, 25 years, and I'm pretty soon coming up 40 years of marriage. When you have those anniversaries, when you have those marker points, do you stop and take note? And so this morning, I want us to stop and take note. In fact, this month, we're going back to what is God's purpose for the church? In Ephesians, we're told that God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church is not a social club. Church has got a very, very strong purpose in the heart and mind of God. I said last Sunday that in uh, many ways, in many places, I find the church to be somewhat underwhelming. I look at the church and go, God, what were you thinking? But I've also had the privilege, particularly over the last 20 years, to be in a number of different places, God took me to some amazing places around the world where I've sat and watched as people of all creeds and races have come together. In all sorts of circumstances, I, we sing that song, uh, 10,000 Reasons, and the first time I heard that, I'd walked into a conference auditorium in Florida, and there's a denomination, particularly strong in the States, but in missionaries circles called the, the, uh, the Church of God of Prophecy. And it was their biannual convention. And as I walked in, the auditorium was filled with thousands of people, all nationalities, just singing, people from around the world, singing that song. And it was like absolutely incredible. But I've also had the privilege of going into little um, semi-tents, I guess, little post-frame and blue tarpaulin. What did they ever do without, in Africa without blue tarpaulins and white chairs like we buy at the warehouse? But that was church. And God was there, and 
And so I have stood in awe of church, of God's body, the body of Christ on so many occasions. And I ask, I pray as a part of the leadership here at the chapel, Lord, show us your will. Teach us, lead us, shape us, use us that we might reveal a little of your glory in our community, that that God's intent would be honoured on the peninsula and beyond. Over the past few months we've been working our way through the book of Genesis and we've observed something of God's plan and purposes in and for creation. And we've seen those plans falter. However, God's purposes prevail. In Isaiah 46, he says, God says, Remember the former things? Those things of long ago, those are the things we've been reading about. I am God and there is no other. There is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is, to still, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. And so through the fall of Genesis 3, and through Cain's murder of his brother Abel in Genesis 4, God still works out his plans and his purposes. More recently we've seen through the flood, and I'm thinking we've had too many times over recent years where what we've been preaching through is a little bit close to real life. And, and um, yeah, the, the, you know, we, we, we see how devastating it's been across Auckland, but you can imagine, begin to imagine what it was like for Noah and his family. And then last Sunday on a plane in China, the, on a plane in China, the, the human race have come to a place and they found a comfortable place where they decide, we like this, this is a good comfortable place, let's settle down here and build a tower and make a name for ourselves. And then God comes down and he multiplies the languages and he multiplies confusions and the people are scattered and God continues to prepare and uh, pursue his plans and purposes. You know, as you read through the scriptures, you could almost understand why some suggest that God is a relentless tyrant who will do whatever he has to do to get his own way at any cost. But then we stop and remember what his plans and purposes are. Back in Genesis, when he created mankind, he created us in his image. That's pretty impressive. He created us. Not that he created us, the fact that he chose to do it and create us in his image. And he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. God's plans and his purposes and then as we step forward through history to the story we started five years ago, as Luke begins to tell the story of God coming in human form and living as one of us, we're told that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. They think, they think Mary was probably about 15 or 16, so this young Jewish girl in Nazareth in the middle of nowhere, really, 
and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You know, we read the Christmas story so often and we miss. That's incredible. That God wouldn't just come as one of us, that he'd allow himself to come as a babe in such a humble, at-risk situation. And we're told that he was tempted in every way, just as we were. The Son of God was exposed to every temptation that we face. And son though he was, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And we're told in Philippians that the Son of God, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Anyone who thinks that God is this tyrant trying to have his own way needs to remember that this God came as one of us. And though he was equal to God, he was God. He did not consider it something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Certainly God was prepared to do whatever was necessary to fulfill his plans and purposes. And he was prepared to pay whatever cost was necessary. The life of his own son. That's not a tyrant. That's a loving father. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then Paul declares out this whole story, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We know these passages so well, I quote them so often, but do we grasp the power behind them? We, therefore, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you, Paul writes, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for God made him who had no sin to become sin for us. There is no depth, no breadth that God will not go to to fulfill his plans and his purposes, which is to reveal his glory in and through his creation. And we call this thing the good news. Actually, the Bible, the NIV, calls it the good news. The old King James called it the gospel. I wonder whether the gospel might be a better word because we have this problem with this word good. You know, in our generation, we've replaced the word good with, oh, wicked. Or if you're in my Bible study group that I had going at my place until earlier last year and all the bunch of the 30-year-olds, if one of the guys, it was like, fire. So you don't have good, it's fire. That's how I learned that. Don't use that a lot in my language. But this word good feels really, really inadequate. 
it must be the right word because it is what the original scriptures actually have as the word good, but we kind of lose something. Oh, it's good news. Jesus saw more depth to the word, as was mentioned earlier in the service. Jesus had a rich young man come to him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Ah, why do you call me good? There is none good except God alone. You know, we've lost the concept of just how incredible this good is. When Jesus said, There is none who is good except God alone. You know, we would use it today. You know, I've got good news. Your favourite flavour of ice cream is coming back. I've got good news, maybe even great news, the, the latest instalment of that franchise movie that you're after. It's coming out in December. Everything's good news. But the gospel's got to be more than just good news. In the sense that we tend to use the word so easily. You see, it would be alright if our playing out, our uh, commitment to this good news reflected that we understood more than just the Oh, it's good news. But I think that's why so much of the church is so underwhelming. Because it is just good news. It's just another bit of good news in a world of bad news. But you know, this gospel doesn't just give you a better life. It's not there to give you an easier life. It's not there to make you a better person. It's not there to get you to heaven. It'll do a lot of those things. But it's so much more than just Luke 15. Luke 15, you know, if you know your, your story through, you'll know that that's the, the chapter where we have these three stories that Jesus tells, one about a lost coin, one about a lost sheep, and one about a lost son. And it's fascinating. If I had to rate the coin, the sheep, or the son, I'd probably rate the sun as the most high, as, as the highest, but it's on the one about the coin. When the woman finds the coin, she has this massive party to, to celebrate. Come with all my friends, celebrate with me that I have this coin that was lost. And in telling that particular part of the story, Jesus says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's a party starts in heaven when a sinner repents. And we go, wow. But then I thought about a song that we sang last Sunday. When you came to faith, there was a party started in heaven. Not just among your friends and family. Not just at your church, not just at your baptism. But around the throne in heaven, a party starts when you came to faith. See, that song we sang last Sunday is, was, was based out of Revelation 4. There was before me, this is John writing, this is a, this revelation, he's lifted up into heaven, he sees this, he describes what he sees in heaven. He says, there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow shone like an emerald and circled the throne. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures, 
day and night. They never stop singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns down before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. That's an incredible picture. And in the midst of that, when you got saved, the rejoicing level in heaven went up. That's mind-blowing. They are around the throne of God, worshipping God. They are in the very presence of God himself. These are the angels worshipping God himself. And you got saved, and the celebration level went up. Do we get that? I don't. I need to stop and remind myself. In Matthew 4, we're told that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. I want you to go, wow, he healed every sickness and every disease. And then we carry on a little bit later and in Luke's gospel he talks about Jesus sending out the twelve and he says, so they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Not only did Jesus heal every sickness and heal every disease, his disciples did the same. Now, I go, well that's not surprising, these are the, the great apostles. No, they're not. They're at the beginning of the journey. They haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. They're going to receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost about two and a half, three years later. They are raw recruits and they are going out and I'm going, wow, they're healing people everywhere. If only we could retain the same wow when we read that the gospel was preached. You know, in Isaiah 55, God says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When the gospel is preached, things change. And healing and deliverance happens, but that's the minor news. The good news, the amazing news of grace is that when the gospel is preached, lives are transformed. In Ephesians 2, Paul is about to talk about God's intent for the church. And he says, but before, and we're about to talk about God's intent for the church for the next few weeks. And so I want to pick up what Paul says. He says, before we get to talk about God's intent for the church. I need you to understand your salvation. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. We are not in need of, we were not in need of a fix-up. 
We didn't need a touch of paint here and there. We didn't need a, to be pimped as if you watch the TV, Pimp My Ride, if you watch the do up. We didn't need a slight improvement. We were dead. He continues, all of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You've ever been in trouble with mum and dad? Remember back when you were kids? Remember getting sent to the principal's office? Happened once. Only once that was enough for me. But we're not being sent to the principal's office. We are standing justifiably condemned. We were standing justifiably condemned under the judgment of the only righteous judge. And our sin stood condemned and we stood condemned with it while we held on to it. And Paul goes, oh, but, but because of his great love for us, God, before we get to that, can you go back to how much trouble we were in? How dead we were? How much trouble we were in? Because until you understand that, we don't understand what Isaac Watts, was it Isaac? no, it wasn't, not Isaac Watts, Amazing Grace, um, Newton, yeah. John Newton, that's it. I knew Isaac Newton wasn't right either. What John Newton meant when he said, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He knew who he was. He was a slave trader. He saw himself for all that he was. And he said, but amazing grace. Because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. So with John Newton we go, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. If that doesn't raise a hallelujah in your spirit, thinking you go home and when the sermon's uploaded, listen to what I've just read out before. To understand where we've come from, where we were when God found us. See, I know you're looking at you go, you understand where you've come from. But some of us who have grown up in the church, you and me, Mike, we forget that we were actually in the same place until we came to Christ. It's so easy to forget. But it doesn't stop there. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. He's seated us with Jesus in heavenly places so that the world can see the incomparable riches of God's grace expressed in his kindness to you and me. And it continues... For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, not of yourselves, nothing you could do. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. Not only did God find you when you were dead, not only did he deal with your judgment, not only did he raise you to life, not only did he seat you with Jesus, he said, by the way, guys, I need you on my team. I've got a job for you to do, and I've equipped you for the job that I've got for you to do. I need you on my team. So we've gone from being the absolute enemies of God to being part of his plan for the salvation of the world. Coming to place our faith in Jesus Christ is not a course correction. It's not even a whole new journey. It's an entirely new destiny in this life and the next. We're not talking about an upgrade. Total transformation. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's the power of this gospel that we are entrusted with. As John Newton wrote, I was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. All this is from God who was reconciling us to himself and entrusting this message to us wanting us desiring planning for us to be the ones who take this to the world this is the calling of the church the church is so many things it is so much but it is more than what we've often made it we are Christ's ambassadors. We are here this morning because somebody took the opportunity to speak the good news to us. But more than that, God took the opportunity in his grace to reach out and meet us where we are. A friend of mine says that the goal is not to get the whole world to go to church. The goal is to get the church to go to the whole world. We are so good at gathering and often so poor at going. God gave us his Holy Spirit. And it's like, oh, you, you can have this bit of me. It's no, no, no. Father, God. Son, God. Holy Spirit, God. Holy Spirit is going to live with you. He is going to live in you. He is going to empower you. Why? Because you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Te Aratu, in West Auckland, throughout Auckland, throughout New Zealand, wherever he calls us. He has given himself for us and now he gives himself to us so that we can become ambassadors of the message that we ourselves have received. Shall we pray? 
Lord Jesus, you promised us life in all its fullness. Not an upgrade. You have taken us from death to life. By your grace and in your mercy, you have forgiven every sin we've committed. And you have taken it upon yourself. And you have set us free. And you have raised us to new life. And we have been seated with you, Lord Jesus, in heavenly places. And we have been entrusted to continue your work here on the earth by the power of your Holy Spirit within us. Lord, lead us and teach us what that looks like. Bring greater revelation through your word. Let us not settle for less. And let us not offer the world any less. Because this world so desperately needs the truth. This world so desperately needs your love and your grace. And you are reaching out to this community and beyond. And you've chosen to do it, at least in part, through us. May we be found faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.